0: You're listening to the Music Interval Theory Podcast with TC and Frank. Hello and welcome. This is Frank and I'm glad that you've tuned in because today we have a special episode. And I would like to show you a part of a casual co-host conversation that I've had some time ago with my partner in crime TC. So we were talking about a subject that has piqued our interest and that is how we hear and as you will find out in the conversation, we have many different ideas and approaches around that subject, so I hope you will have fun with this episode and now it's time to tune in.
1: It's stuff that I had to experience. I had to actually, it wasn't like, you know, I was sleeping and this white star came into the window and went, and all of a sudden, I, you know, it's like Mozart. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start this piece with this high oboe. No, I mean, it didn't. It was trial and error and trial and error. Oh, that works great. And trial and error and trial. Oh, that works great. What if I put those two together? A lot of years of that. I'm kind of approaching the ear training part of me to the same way. Just look at like four bars and say, okay, if someone was to play this for you, how would you write it down? Where would you start? Would you start at the top? Or would you start at the bottom or would you start hearing the bottom and the relationship of the first note to the bottom? So the really specific stuff for guys to follow, I've never seen that in your training stuff yet. I've seen where they just give you notes, even random notes and that sort of stuff, but how do you hear a root from a structure that doesn't have the root in it?
0: It goes against the natural hearing because obviously we tend to relate everything to the strongest tone of the structure that is located within that structure. Meaning if there was no root tone included, you're hearing more complex overtones but the root tone now is abstract and missing. I believe with training you can get there. I certainly would have my difficulties hearing a root tone that is not present.
1: Yeah, me too. When I was uh, hanging out with Ted Green, who uh, was an amazing guitar player, he always would have fun and he would say, oh, what's this chord? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it really would put me on the spot. And I could usually tell a category, you know, you can tell if it's dominant or you could tell if it's got a flat 13 in it because they have colors in them. You know, hearing chords and hearing intervals is two separate things because chords have an overall flavor. It's like that is the pie. It's got a couple of different interval combinations. So it's easier to hear interval combinations than separate intervals and it's easier to hear them if they're condensed into one octave than it is if they're spread over two. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between that so...
0: I would also separate the chords from an interval because just take a 4 plus 4 as an example. Every of those tones can be the root of an augmented triad. So you don't even have to relate it to a missing root tone. You can you can take a 4 plus 4 like c e and a flat and pretend this is an 11th plus chord because then b flat becomes the root and you have scale tones minus 7 9 and 11 plus in there and it it would be right it would be right but nobody is going to hear it that way and you cannot even say clearly okay c is the root or e is the root or a flat is the root or G sharp because again it's not clear and any of those roots can be potentially the root tone um, and, and that is interesting because now this opens up some freedom and one decision is as good as another one. It might depend on the register so maybe one note is peeking down into the bass register or something and yeah then it's, it's clear. But this is interesting, really interesting because um, how do you decide? about the the root tone. You can't, essentially. <laughs> you can't really make
1: a decision uh, uh, unless you understand how to really hear extensions and stuff like that. I'm not trying to claim my ears are that great. I mean, I spend a lot of time on them. I, ca- I kind of want to figure out a way to take guys out of having the module of ear training over here and then the concept of themselves as... How well do I hear? Well, the secret is, it's a little secret. I don't really hear that good. You know, I mean, I can hear, sure, I can hear bum, bum. I can hear five, you know, but uh, can, I, can I hear both directions? Can, can I hear two fives together? Can I recognize that? Can I tell the difference between two fives and two sevens? Where do I focus when I'm trying to hear that? And should I have to focus at all? Should it just be an, a, a flavor experience and just say, oh, that's cinnamon, <laughs> you know? Oh, that's that, you know, instead of, I think there's some things to to uncover from a human psyche point of view
0: for ear training as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Actually, the way how we can approach this is just start with this outcome, which means we want everybody to have perfect hearing and understanding of the intervals just by by listening to the structures or the isolated intervals. Now let's list all of the problems that that might appear. Things like objections, for example I can't hear any intervals or I don't see the value in hearing the intervals. Also stuff like as long as there are just two notes, I can hear them well, but what about three notes played simultaneously? Then I'm completely lost. I have no idea what you know two of them are doing. I just hear the, the top line. All of these objections, they can be turned into solutions and part of the content because then we specifically address concerns and problems all the time. If you're in a restaurant
1: and someone is talking, let's say crossed from you at another table and they're kind of loud and harsh voice you can hear the conversation pretty clearly it's harder to hear if the person you're with is talking to you then you're distracted Mm -hmm. and so we have kind of a mono system of hearing that's the nature so you can hear mono in a vertical structure if it's played at the same time Because then it becomes a mixture of one one sound, one one flavor. But when you have a bunch of stuff moving at the same time, it's like a lot of conversations and much, much more difficult. And then the question becomes, well, how much can that actually be developed? Is it actually the nature of the human ear and hearing is to single out one source? Or can we be trained to hear more than one source? Are there higher
0: levels? And if we can be trained, how do we do that? Partly, I covered exactly that topic in module five, which is, for example, the developing of those sections, the orchestral sections, and how to add another section on top and things like that. So I figured that there is a hierarchy to the functions that we've introduced, meaning A melody is always on top of a chord progression a motor well usually this comes up to the foreground first and then as it keeps this repetitive pattern it tends to blend into the middle or the background and then you forget about it at some point you don't hear it anymore because your brain tells you this is not new information i don't need to hear this I figured that it doesn't make sense to have more than three functions at a time in each of those, let's call them layers or dimensions. The foreground, the middle ground and the background. So I don't believe that it is beneficial to have let's say a moving line in the foreground, two motors in the middle ground against the chord progression and the pedal tone in the background. This is way too much stuff. This is essentially what, what I hear you say as well. And that is this example with these conversations, as long as they are isolated, and let's say two or three at a time, you can separate those. Yes, but if you stand in a crowded grocery store, then it is pretty hard to catch up anything in there because of too much information. You know, how do we hear?
1: You know, how do you hear in a restaurant? You're sitting with two other people. And the restaurant has a lot of conversations going on. And maybe one guy is loud and you're hearing his conversation and your attention goes over there because he's hearing and he's maybe uses something that catches your attention. It's like a gazoo in an orchestra. Oh, that sound is so, uh, now I'm hearing that, but now you don't hear the oboe, you know, because you're hearing this, this really raspy instrument. Okay, so if you're sitting at a restaurant with with two other people and you're having a very nice conversation you you really don't want distractions it becomes an annoyance and you're not capable of listening to everybody even at your table because it's a much more pleasant experience if one person talks then the other person answers and then you talk and then maybe two people can be going back and forth very quickly and the topic is how do we hear So I I think that's so much better than ear training because ear training has
0: a connotation of, you know, same old stuff. That is really fantastic. And I I think it's a very valid point because the moment you receive too much information, it is not only overwhelming, but it also causes stress. And you want to shut it down in a way and you want to protect yourself from that. And usually this results in not having any interest anymore in listening to the information. This explains why you do enjoy probably listening to some pieces of music more than others.
1: I don't know if you want to call it a course or a mini series of lectures or whatever you want to call it, but there will be a lot of examples of things and, and stuff that they'll have access to to download to help them work on their hearing because ear training is interesting to everybody. And I'll tell you this, it's my opinion, that the the level of people's hearing that are all in music, they take great pride in pretending that they can hear anything. They love to have other people think that they can hear great. The truth is most people are insecure about how well they hear. And that actually, if you tested them, you probably figure out pretty quickly they hear in one category, okay, maybe a melody. But if you played all the different modes in a row, they would have to sit and hum them and think about them. They don't just hear them. It's like you don't hum a word. You just hear a word. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, you just should hear a mode. You might know the Dorian mode, right? But what about all the other modes that we have? All the subtle modes, all the stuff... You know, to be able to hear those is not that easy for most people. They can hear it, but they have to figure it out. So the brain goes into analysis instead of just hearing.
0: If you call somebody's name, they don't fall into this rational state. They actually have an emotional reaction because they want to know, okay, who just shouted my name? And they, they don't ask these more analytical questions they have just the emotion inside, which is for example now this emotion, this is always a four. It always has been a four. I never knew it, right? But it always has been the same interval because you don't learn emotions. You just have them. Then it is way easier to use this as a basis to remember information. And the information is, now that's a four. That is a logical statement, of course, but it is easier. To rely on your emotion because then you can just pull it up whenever you want and you don't have to think about it so now, think about it this way also when
1: you're reacting and it's an emotional reaction that means that your body is already connected it's already got the pathway it's it recognizes something instantly you don't have to put any work into it you know if somebody calls your name you don't have to sit there and analyze, well, what is the sound of that voice? What is it? It's beyond the texture. It doesn't matter. Uh, it could be a female, a male. If they call your name, you get an emotional reaction. So it could be a- any sort of thing. And so there is a separation between the emotions and the analytical part of our brain. In my feeling, is that the analytical part of your brain is a secondary, it's a life net. It's a secondary mechanism that kicks in after you You don't recognize the path or you don't recognize the tenor of something. You know, if, if a clarinet plays a note, you instantly know it's a clarinet. You don't have to figure that out. What the intervals that those instruments are playing is something different. Those emotions, you have to make the paths for those. We have to have a method where these paths make the connection for everybody recognize this equivalent a one plus one almost everybody's going to recognize that pretty quickly Mm -hmm. so to start off recognize all the equivalents there's not that many of them and if you can do that then you go to the first pc of all of them and recognize the pcs you don't have to sing these you just have to recognize them it has to be instant And I think once you start getting instant recognition and you're experiencing it emotionally, you'll instantly be able to compose what you're feeling.
0: And I totally agree with the statement you gave earlier that the rational part of the brain, the neocortex essentially, that this is secondary, because it is also slower. The first thing that you will experience is the emotion. But the moment you fail to have this emotion, then the neocortex chimes in and tries to rationalize a situation. Not the other way around. You, you don't understand the, the situation from a logical point of view and then the emotion kicks in. It's always first the emotion and then the analysis of the situation. Because if you don't feel anything, if you don't have an emotional reaction, you start analyzing.
1: I think approaching how we hear musically and really spending the time to think about it, which is using the analytical part of our brains, to develop a way to get to the emotional. It's a big loop, actually. It's kind of kind of interesting of uh, how we go about things. It's exactly what we did in the meta course. It was discovery and figuring out. This really works great. And then this works okay. And then sometimes like the matrix of intervals, that lesson, every time I teach it, I get more appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. But when we first wrote it, I thought, "I, I hope this is useful. But now I realize, wow, the type of music that comes out of that is really amazing. So if we can incorporate the matrix of intervals into our how do we hear, part of our course. I think that would be phenomenal to do it. Maybe
0: starting with equivalence would be uh, the best way. This is really interesting because now we can start with the equivalence in the treble and we can extend the way how we hear to the bass register and now we bring it back to the overtone series since that is what surrounds us in nature anyway. So let's use that listening experience and try to connect this first logically to composition and then let's work on replacing logic with emotion. It is based on your emotional response, it's not based on a technique anymore. Because everybody can follow a technique but nobody can follow your unique emotional response to something.
1: Yeah, that's how you end up with your own style. This podcast is powered by the Music Interval Theory Academy, your resource for getting clarity and confidence in music composition and orchestration. See you inside at
0: musicintervaltheory.academy.